Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast, where we are bringing the Lordship of Jesus Christ to everyday life. And uh, this episode today brings us to a, a final closure on the Trevor Loudon visit that we had a few weeks ago. It was powerful. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the last two episodes. In fact, if you're just tuning in now, I encourage you to go back and catch the last two episodes. I think you'll find them very informative and helpful. But pretty much up to that point, uh, we've painted a picture of uh, the immense challenges that are before us as a nation, as a church, as, a, as individuals, as we are really contending for freedom and religious liberty and for all the uh, foundational principles that we know and love and hold so dear as Americans. And um, we're getting into the final episode now of this interview with Trevor Loudon, and the focus shifts to uh, an important question, you know, what can we do about the problems? You know, what is the blueprint? Trevor wrote in a, a wonderful article that I highlight in this podcast where he uh, basically laid out some principles or some points, some very practical things uh, that we could begin to focus on uh, to begin the process of reclamation. And then we end with just a reminder that, you know, when times are dark, uh, and there have been many, many episodes uh, of darkness in America and throughout the world. When times get dark, it's really a chance for the church of Jesus Christ to shine. And I always like to remind people, you know, this life and, and America and the church and everything is all for the glory of God. Everything that, that is exists for the glory of God. And the Lord only allows uh, his reputation to be trampled for so long. And then what we see is, is God simply intervenes. And when God intervenes, that's when he pours his grace and mercy out, uh, allows the blinders to fall off people's eyes. We see salvation happening. We see people repenting. We see a church that's awakened and vibrant. And, uh, and it's not hard for the Lord to uh, turn a nation around in a very short time. We've seen it happen over and over and over again. So this message is really a message of hope. And it's a message of, um, it's kind of a Nehemiah message. You know, you look at all the rubble around you and, uh, and, you're, and you're going, wow, look at this disaster. What, where do we begin? And, and Trevor Loudon helps us with some very practical ways that in our local communities, we can begin to roll up our sleeves put our hands to the plow, begin to rebuild some walls that have been broken or fallen down, and begin to see restoration happen uh, in our communities, in our states, and in our nation. So you're going to really enjoy episode number three with Trevor Loudon. Uh, enjoy. I got an article here by yours truly called A New Zealander's Nine Starter Steps to Save America from Socialism. This was from the Epic Times. I encourage you to, to check out uh, Trevor's writings online. Uh, you have many great articles. Um, but I wanted to go back to something. You know, Marxism is all about uh, violent overthrow and, and the ends justify the means, and so creating chaos, creating pain, agitating, and of course, that's not who we are as Christians. So, so any move of God that we're going to be a part of or any uh, uh, you know, organization for the good of stopping tyranny it has to be done in a spirit of order, and it has to be done under the rule of law. And, yeah. and you brought out a good point. It, it, it's, I've heard it said this way, it's the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. In other words, in other words, when the president does something that's an overreach, yeah. then the governors have the ability to say, that's not going to happen in our state. 
And that's a, that's a legitimate biblical way to appeal to a higher authority by, by not causing chaos, basically. And you, and you mentioned, you know, for instance, we don't want to be, as it says here, we, we don't really want to be like Michigan. We'd rather be like Florida. Uh, in Michigan, when Governor Whitmer was having all kinds of strange edicts and really acting like a dictator, uh, the sheriffs basically told her, we're not going to enforce this. And that's another example of a lesser magistrate saying, this does not fit our job description. This violates our constitutional rights. And, and so lesser magistrates are critically important all the way down to the local level and to what we do here in the church. In other words, we don't have the right to go out and just create chaos and say, I'm not going to obey these laws because I don't agree. That's, that's disorder. That's revolutionary communist behavior. We need to do things in a way that, that's constitutional, in a way that appeals to law. Yeah, look, that, that's absolutely right. We, we're not going to fight evil by being evil, you know, by resorting to their tactics. We have truth on our side. We have a blueprint. We have a way of, we have a tradition. We have everything we need to restore order and restore our freedom peacefully. We have, we have it all. We just have to have the courage and the discipline and the focus and the will to do it. And if, you know, the hotheads who want to go off and run off and be all violent and that, all they're going to do is bring down the power of the state on all of our heads and destroy everything we have. This is a time for, for, for discipline and people standing up and, and defending the law. You know, you know, imagine, you know, when the Nazi guards put the Jews in the concentration camps, imagine had they said, no, this is not a thing to do. This violates my faith, this violates the law. They would have been morally right. You know, when they hung people in the Nuremberg trials who said, I was just following orders. Yeah. Because that is when you know something is wrong, you have a duty to stand against it. But the mag that is, we have sheriffs, we have magistrates, we have county commissions, we have the mechanisms in place to stop the overreach. We just have to make sure we elect the right sheriffs and the courageous legislators who will actually take responsibility for the powers that they have. So it's all there for us. Yes. We just have to, we got to do our part and make sure our leaders do their part. And I would say this, you know, when, when a leader stands up and has the courage to buck the system, that's when it's our job to make sure we rally around those leaders so they're not out there by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, what look, would have... Look, look, right now, Ron DeSantis is the most popular governor in America. Everybody loves Ron in Florida. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter because they know he's standing for their state. And I would encourage you too. Um, I heard one time a friend of mine who leads a church similar to ours, a person called him up and said, you know, I'm tired of pastors not standing up and not getting engaged. And, and he said, well, where do you go to church? And the guy mentioned where he goes to church and it was a big church in the area. And, and he says, well, does your pastor get involved? No. Well, why are you going to that church? Um, because they have a nice children's ministry. Um, so here you got pastors, sometimes at smaller churches that are standing up, and then you got people that continue to go to large churches that are doing nothing, taking no risk, in fact, being woke and being 
opposite of what we need to be doing. And so I'm just telling you, if we want people to stand up, if we want our leaders to stand up, we need to make sure we really rally around them. And I think now is the time. We could be looking at a whole different history, for instance, in Germany, if the pastors, when the Jews were attacked, would have stood up and said, this is evil and this is wrong. Well, that's right. And we'd be looking at a whole different history if the pastors of today's America had been the pastors of 1776. You know, would they have stood against Britain? And we got to understand that revolution was fought over religious liberty. That was the main reason it was fought. And it was led almost exclusively by pastors. The famous black-robed regiments, the Bible in one hand and the long rifle in the other. Because the British crown had broken the covenant with the people of the colonies. They were, they were breaking their own laws and they were coming for the religious liberties that people had fled Europe and sailed across the ocean to establish. That's why your founding fathers had a duty to stand against that. And what were you talking about just at dinner before we got here about pastors and the whole religious liberty thing and how out of touch pastors yeah. are, even on religious liberty, which should be our bread and butter? Yeah. Look, 36, only 36% of the pastors in this country are concerned about religious liberty. I wonder where the other... The other 60, I did math before Common Core, so um, <laughs> whatever, whatever. The, the majority of them are clearly not woke. They are, they are clearly asleep. Look, the, the Equality Act, which has already passed the Congress, will completely put LGBTQ rights before your religious liberties. You know, you imagine you're a little pastor your little church out in Iowa somewhere, right out in the prairie, and you've got a little comfortable church and you've got nice people and you don't pay any attention to this stuff. And a, a, a homosexual couple comes to your church and they say, we love your church, we'd like to get married here. And you say, well, look, that's against our religious views. You'll need to go elsewhere. And then next week, you get hit with a $5 million lawsuit from yep. the department, civil rights lawsuit from the Department of Justice. This is going to shut down this law if it's passed through the Senate and signed off by the president would destroy freedom of speech and religious liberty as we know it in this country. Something we've had for 250 years, folks, could be gone with the stroke of a pen. And only 36% of pastors in the country are concerned about religious liberty. And these are the leaders, folks, who are supposed to be protecting us from danger. What's the role of a pastor? You know, you've got a crook. You know, it's a shepherd. He's got a crook to keep the sheep in line and he's got a stick to beat the wolves off. Well, the wolves are eating our children now, folks. And a whole bunch of pastors are doing nothing about it. And think about this. You know, when I first ran for office, uh, the family policy people were saying, Pastor, we cannot get pastors to care about issues that are biblical issues. Like when we needed pastors to stand on the abortion issue, no one stood. When we needed pastors to stand on marriage, 
The pastors didn't fight for marriage. These are biblical issues. And now, we're, because we didn't fight for life, we didn't fight for marriage, now we're fighting for our right to even preach the Bible without being criminalized or persecuted or fined or imprisoned for simply preaching the gospel. And pastors still are not concerned that our religious liberties, which is the foundation upon which we stand on, even to preach the gospel, could be stolen from us right from under our nose. So we need an awakening, and uh, we need to pray for the church and we need to be the church. But I'll quit preaching. I get to do that on Sunday. Yeah, I'm going to let you. That's, that's all right. I'm going to let you jump back in. But that, but that's that's the thing, isn't it? The the church is supposed to be the salt and light of the community. They are going to declare the Bible a hate document before yeah. too long. And you will have to rip pages out of your own Bible to conform with the law. Is that a, is that worrying you in any way? You know? Does anybody think I'm exaggerating when I say that? You know, when Jerry Nadler, the head of the Judiciary Committee, who's a Marxist, by the way, man who tried to impeach your president twice, when he said recently that the Judiciary Committee has no concern for God's opinion, the highest legal officer in the country, that tells you the respect they have for your religion, faith, people. And that tells you how much they want to get rid of it and suppress you. Because you're the people who stand against their agenda. And they're not going to allow you to practice your faith unless you stand up now. That's the reality. I think everybody's concern is, you know, and I'm not going to speak for everybody in the audience, but many Americans believe that this last election was fraudulent. And um, and part of our... um, Amen. About 90% of the people in the world believe the election was fraudulent, folks. So, so, so here's the issue. All of our grassroots efforts at some level amount to nothing if the system yeah, is yeah. rigged. And so how do, I guess that's a a big concern we all have because we don't want to just be spinning our our wheels out here. What do we do to ensure that our vote counts and that there's no fraud or very little fraud and uh, and that we bring integrity back? Not not just, you know, in Indiana, we we have people that for the most part share our values by and large. We're a conservative state. Uh, But other places, and when you look at what's happening on the national level and national elections, that's where we feel like our votes are not counting. So what do we do there? Well, you can only do what you can do in your area for a start, you know, in your state. See, I know people, there are several states have already implemented some pretty tough voter integrity measures. And then Georgia got hammered for that, for doing some moderate sort of stuff. I think there's two things we've got to aim at here. One is we've got to have very stiff penalties for anybody doing organised vote fraud. Like, that's worse than burglarising your house, folks. That is, that is borderline treason, because that's taken away your children's future. And I think we've also got to have no voting machines, right? And um, because, because, you know, look, you could have this fantastic blockchain machine that could never be hacked and it's perfect, but 10% of our base would never trust it. Because this is what happened in Georgia when the, when the Republicans lost two Senate seats in Georgia. You know, Mitch McConnell blamed Trump. He said, oh, that was Trump's fault. It was McConnell's fault because he wouldn't stand for the election. 
and wouldn't do anything about the obvious fraud. So a whole bunch of Georgia Republicans said, well, this election's gonna be just as fraudulent as the last, so I'm gonna go bass fishing that day. That's why they lost. So we have got to have paper ballots, ID. We've got to have at least the standard you need to buy liquor, folks, to vote, right? So that, so that people's faith in the system is restored. Because if it isn't, 10% of the conservative base is just going to stay home. And can we afford to lose 10% of our base? No. We can't. So look. You've got to do it at the local level. You've got to do it in your county. You've got to do it everywhere you can. See, there's a lot of Republicans in Indiana won't touch this issue because they say, why worry? We won. Okay, well, Virginia was a very red state 10 years ago. Now it's blue. Georgia was a red state 10 years ago. Now it's blue. Arizona was a red state 10 years ago. Now it's blue. Indiana will be a blue state within three election cycles if the, if the if election integrity is not addressed. So you've got to be on the case of your officials. Never let this issue die until it's sorted out because it's the most important issue and political issue ahead of us right now. It's the most... If we don't... Yeah, people say, oh, we let the election slide, you know, we'll, we'll win next time. We won't win next time. This, if we don't sort this out and hold people to account and have people go to jail for this and have systems change, we will not win again. And we will have tyranny in this land. And is that what you want to hand on to your kids, folks? No. So we've no. got to fight for that issue. That is, that is number two in my... Number three in my nine points of what we got to do to bring this country back. You said, first of all, in this excellent article, you said we need to face reality. Mm. Talk about the reality. And I think, again, many Americans don't realize, you know, I was sharing Sunday, we're like one vote away, really, from the Senate passing the yeah, Equality yeah, Act, yeah. and we lose it all. Yeah. Um, we, we're, when it doesn't touch us personally, it's, it's hard to face reality. But what is the reality? And we've got some serious things yeah. right now that, that are happening. The reality is we are in a revolutionary situation right now, and we've got a few months to sort it out. We're also at war with China right now. China's killing 80,000 of our kids a year with their fentanyl. At, um, Bennett, uh, the, um, I've forgotten his name, um, Trump's intelligence advisor said the Chinese have blackmailed so many American politicians now, they can determine which legislation passes the Congress and which doesn't. Ratcliffe. They are indoctrinating our kids through their control of social media and Hollywood. Uh, they're brainwashing our kids in the schools from, from grade school to university level. Our culture is this far away from extinction. And I'll, I'll tell you the other thing. The whole reason we have open borders is very simple. So that, so that they can flood this country with so many illegals that will vote for the certain way they want that Christian conservatives will become a minority in their own country. And here's a scary thing. Mexico now has a communist president, AMLO. He has just won his midterms. He is now going to go full-on Venezuela in Mexico. Now, Venezuela was a prosperous country. They went communist and 20% of their people moved out. 
Mexico has 130 million people. Where are 20% of them gonna go, folks? So we are, we gotta, if we're serious about our kids, if we're serious about our future, this is the time to stand up. This is the time that our founding fathers stood up. This is as serious as that. This is the same as when our, and our grandfathers went and fought World War II or whatever. It's as serious as that. But the good news is we have 80 million people who voted to, to restore a president in the last election and another 20 million who wish they had, and we got God. That's a pretty darn strong army, folks. Absolutely. You know? So I think I speak for most people. You know, we just got out of Pride Month, um, where everywhere we looked, we felt like we were inundated with this tsunami of perversion. And you feel like, who am I and what can I do? I mean, I don't control the media. I'm not a power broker. I'm not a senator. You know, I'm not a Hollywood uh, mogul, whatever. I'm not, you know, we're not, most of us work normal jobs. We're trying to raise our mm. kids, you know. What hope do you have for us in practical terms? Like, like, we feel like we're being overwhelmed, and I think many people just feel paralyzed and powerless. So, yeah. so what are some practical ways that, that we can really feel like we're turning things around? Well, see, so you look in Kosciuszko County. Now, they've got three county commissioners now who've made that county a sanctuary for the Constitution. That's already been watched all around the country. You have... What, um, it, what does that mean? A, a sanctuary, sanctuary for the Constitution? It means that... that the Constitution cannot be perverted in that county. If the government comes in and says, we're going to take your guns, they're going to say, go away. We are guaranteed our guns. If the, if the government says, we're going to take your freedom of speech, we have a First Amendment. Take a hike out of here. See, see, this is the thing. You look at the Old Testament. Did God raise up huge armies to take down small armies? Or did he raise up small armies to take down big armies? The latter, yeah. You know, did he, was Gideon, Gideon had 300, right? David was one little guy against a giant, right? But what did they had, have? They had faith and they had courage. Because faith gives you courage. If you have lack courage, you've got to look at your faith. Because if you believe what you should be believing, you, are, you know you're looking at eternity here. And what you do now is going to affect you for eternity. And that should give you a lot of courage because that's a big deal. So, look, how many people fought in the American Revolution? There's 3% fought in it, 20% supported it, and the rest either supported the British or didn't care. Well, is those, those percentages familiar to you in any way? You know, this is how it's always been. It's always been a small army that has achieved the most. People, you, you, you take back your school board in this county and you change the curriculum in your county. That will affect counties all over America. You know, you stand on, the, on your constitution in this county and you will, you will affect people everywhere. Right now they've got a meeting in Kosciuszko County um, about critical race theory, and they're hoping to get 1,300 people in that hall tomorrow night. That will send a reverberation right across the state. 
You know, that will, that will terrify every state rep who's thinking, do I take the corporate money or do I listen to the people? And they're thinking, well, the corporate money ain't going to give me the votes that the people are going to give me. Maybe I better do what they want. So it's local stuff. You, do, you clean up your community and you clean up your own life. And that's the thing, you know, if we're, we're living a, a, a bad life, we can't hope to be leading anybody. We can't hope to be saving anybody. So that's the first step. And we're all, we're all none of us are angels, but we've got to be better than we are now. And the better we are, the better we can lead our community. And you have a blueprint. You've got the Bible, which lays out the principles of how you live your life. And you've got the Constitution, which lays out the principles of how you organise your country. That's pretty much all you need, plus courage and faith. You've got those blueprints, plus courage and faith. You can move mountains. You can take over your school board. You can elect a new state rep. You can elect a sheriff who's totally a constitutional sheriff. You can serve as a beacon for every other county in the country. You know, right now, Ron DeSantis is serving as a beacon for governors all around the country. Yeah. People tell me, I wish I lived in Florida. Well, you make this state like Florida, and you make another state like Florida, and we're going to take this country back. You know? Look, I want to I tell you another example, because look, Florida, Ron DeSantis was elected by tiny, tiny margins. He beat the communist Andrew Gillum by a few thousand votes in a state of 23 million people. But this is my favourite example of a small bunch of people helping. Back in 2013, the Senate had passed an amnesty bill in this country. That would have given 20 million illegal immigrants the right to vote. That would have made this country, that would have finished this country. And I went up to Jim Bridenstine's office on um, about the Monday. And I, he was a very conservative rep from Oklahoma, went on to head NASA. And he told me, Trevor, he said, the Republican House is going to pass amnesty on Wednesday or Thursday. It's a done deal. It's going to happen. We can't stop it. And I said, don't they realise this is going to destroy the country and destroy the GOP? said, yeah, but they, get, they don't care. They get a lot of money from the Chamber of Commerce who wants cheap labour. You know, they're, they're going to do it. And I walked out very depressed. Well, that Wednesday, I think it was, they had a by-election in Virginia. 200 Tea Party volunteers with $200,000 went up against Eric Cantor mm -hmm. with five million bucks that's number two in the Republican House, the champion of amnesty, and they beat him by eight points. Wow. And amnesty was dead the next day. It was over. The country was saved by 100 volunteers with about 100 grand, and they didn't even spend all of it. Just people, they made it a, a, an election on principle, amnesty or not amnesty, rule of law or no rule of law, and they beat the darling of the house by eight points and scared every rhino Republican into complete terror, and they, amnesty was gone. It was over. It was done. So people, a small group can make a massive difference, whether it's school board level, county commission level, whether it's state rep, 
you know, you've already got a great state here, folks. You can make it better. If yeah. you, this is it. Every day you get up and you put a picture of your children or your grandchildren on your desk and you look at it every morning and say, what am I going to do today so that you may live free? That is what you should be doing every day, folks. Amen. Any other practical things in this blueprint? We talked about a uh, Republic Review. You talked about a, uh, organizing a compact of free states, uh, closing Republican primaries. That's an Indiana practical point yeah, you yeah. can bring up. Well, look, I advocate closing primaries. And I'll tell you, a lot of people don't know what that means, so I'll clarify. So you have a primary, right? And you have maybe four Republicans running for a state reposition, and one of them will get the most votes, and they will go up against the Democrat or, or whatever. Now, there's five states in the union that have completely closed primaries. The meaning only Republicans can vote in Republican primaries, only Democrats can vote in Democrat primaries. Every other state, including Indiana, says anybody can vote in that primary, including communists. So what do you think they're gonna do? They're gonna look at your primary and they see this really conservative person running, a real patriot. You think they're gonna vote for him or are they gonna vote for the weakest, wimpiest Republican they can find? That is why in South Carolina, they got a very conservative state and a real wimp like Lindsey Graham. They can't get rid of him because the Democrats go into the Republican primaries and vote for him against every conservative who tries to primary him out. That's why you've got Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, who's worse, who's very left-wing, poses as a Republican, but they can't get her out because the Communist Party up there goes around the Native American res reservations and the Eskimo reservations and gets them all to vote for Lisa Murkowski. Look, if you're in the Lions Club, do you let the Kiwanis people vote for your president? If you're in the tennis club, do you let the soccer club people vote for your executive officers? The Republican Party is a private organisation. So is the Democratic Party. Why do you let your enemies choose your leaders? If you only have conservatives voting in conservative primaries, you will get way more conservative people. Do you have a problem in having a conservative base and electing liberal reps time and time and time again? Has that been a problem in this state, folks? Yeah. Well, end the open primaries. That's the number one thing you can do to make sure you get people that actually represent your values a lot more than you do now. That, will trans that is why Ron DeSantis won in Florida, because we have closed primaries. So the rhinos ran Adam Putnam, who was a bit of a wimp. But then Trump endorsed DeSantis, and we had closed primaries, so only conservatives could vote in it, and they elected DeSantis. Had they elected Ron Putnam, he would have lost to the communist Andrew Gillum, and we would be California on the Caribbean right now. So closed primaries make a massive difference and you can do that in your local. You can start pressing for that now. The Republican establishment won't like it. The Democrats won't like it. But who cares? It's your party, not theirs. 
Well, we've only got a few minutes left, so I want to give you some running room to yeah. leave a final volley with us. Okay, well, a few more things, you know. There's no violent way out of this. You know, we've got, we, we got to be peaceful and disciplined. That's very critical. Close the primaries. We've got to build this compact of free states. We've got to, we've got to ally all the, all the red counties together. The constitutional sheriffs have to stand together. We've got to stand behind them. We've got to get the states to stand together. We've got to use our dollars, people. We have the buying power. So... Think about this. Everybody should be determined right now never spend another dollar that goes to communist China. Ever. Look at the labels, folks. People, buying from communist China today is like buying from Nazi Germany in 1938. They are building a war machine to kill our people. And you're helping when you give them your dollars. See, this is the thing. Kissinger sold Nixon on this idea. Let's be friends with communist China. We'll draw them away from Russia. We will export all our industries from the Midwest and their high-paying union jobs and send them to China. So we can make tons of money and China will be our friends and we'll all live happily ever after and be, get fat and rich and lazy. And that scam that you betrayed your own workers to the benefit of communist China went on under every president, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat for 30 years until, Do until Donald J. Trump called it out. First one. First one to put American workers first and bring the industry back to America. You know, you gotta have, if you wanna defend your country, you have to have an industrial base. What are you gonna do? You get in a war with China, you put a, you put a requisition order into China for the steel you need to build your tanks. Is that what you're gonna do? In World War II, you guys built a Liberty ship every 24 hours because you had the trained, skilled labour and you had the industrial plants to do it. Could you do it today? No. Wouldn't be so easy, would it? So we got to spend our money with our friends, with our local businesses. See, it got so bad, under, it got so bad Trump had to sign an executive order to stop this. The companies in control of your military pensions your military pensions, we're going to send all of that money to communist China to invest in communist Chinese companies. Most of them connected to the People's Liberation Army so they could build more guns and more bombs and more tanks to kill the people who paid for them. Trump had to stop that, executive order. So in your own communities, if you got investments in companies with communist China, get rid of those investments. Don't give them a bean. Don't give them a cent. Draw up lists in your own community of the good Christian patriotic businesses and the woke unpatriotic businesses and make sure everybody here spends their money with the patriots. Now, here's what, see, this is Trump recommended when we said, told us, 
don't buy Coca-Cola. They tried to suppress Georgia when Georgia was trying to do the stuff, you know, have fair elections. Don't use UPS, use FedEx. Don't, um, don't support the National Baseball League. They are not supporting us. You know, we got it. We've got, look, we got 80 million Trump voters and another 20 million who wish they had been. That's a lot of money, people. If we direct that towards our friends and away from our enemies, the cancel culture will get cancelled pretty darn quickly. Good, amen. Right? Isn't it a Christian principle to, def- to support your friends and your family rather than your enemies? You know, it's just those greedy sods in Wall Street who want to make a fat lot of money. They don't care if our boys go and fight overseas and fight wars. They don't care. But we got to care about our communities and we got to put our dollars with our friends, not our enemies. Yeah. We can all do that. All of us can do that. You know, I had a, a friend who was fighting for marriage in uh, one of the New England states. I believe it was Maine. And uh, he told me that one of the biggest donators to the opposition cause pushing gay marriage in the state uh, was Starbucks. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that they rapidly pushing the LGBTQ agenda. So I made a decision at that time. Why don't we drink Cafe Ethne that goes to support yeah, the yeah, nations? Yeah. And... Uh, yeah. And as, or, long, or, or, as, yeah. as long as we have economic choices, I realize sometimes with corporate America, almost everybody is, uh, is yeah. on the take. But yeah. it gets to be hard. But we can make local choices like that, and it adds yeah. up. Well, look, you know, there's, there are veterans coffee companies out there. You know, there's, there's patriotic companies. We just have to look for them. But this is a good example, and I advocate this. See, Bed Bath & Beyond basically is a public company, is a big box company that's had a lot of financial issues. But they come out and told the whole world that President Trump tried to start a riot on January the 6th. And then they said, well, we're not going to buy Mike Lindell's pillows anymore. Well, how about 80 million MAGA voters? We all decide that we're not going to buy any more wedding presents from Bed Bath & Beyond. We're going to buy them all from Mike Lindell. Okay. How long do you think they're going to survive? We only have to take down one company like that and you're going to see them start to back off. You know, their profits come before their principles, folks. You know, they do. And we have the buying power. This is how the Indians got the British out of India. They didn't have a revolution. They didn't throw any bombs. They just had a nationwide boycott on all British businesses. And the British said, well, we're out of here. We can't make any money. We're gone. This is... We have the majority, people. We have the majority in this country and the buying power. We have to direct our support to our friends and withdraw support for our enemies, both domestically and internationally. And then we will change the face of this country, folks. Amen. Final word, and then we're going we're gonna to pray here tonight. Is that all right with everybody? I think it's fitting that we pray for our country. Amen. You know, I, um, I'm reminded that in spite of all of our imperfections as a nation, no nation is perfect. We have, every nation's a mixture. 
But we've, we have done uh, an incredible amount of good in the world. Americans are good people. You know, when there's wars, we go back in and we re rebuild our enemies' economies, right? I mean, it's amazing what mm -hmm. Americans do. Uh, and I believe that's the spirit behind, you know, what God wants to do to revive America. It's the local communities, it's loving people, it's serving one another, it's kindness, it's just the golden rule like you talked about. Uh, it's Christians living as Christians, the Christians getting involved, Christians standing up for truth, not being ashamed, uh, Christians banding together for these causes in public, getting behind good candidates. How about this? I bet our churches are full of amazingly qualified people to run for school boards, for state rep, and, um, and that's, a holy, that's a holy calling. And I believe part of what pastors should be doing is helping to identify good quality candidates, and then getting the people to rally around those folks when they go run for office. Um, that's how we begin to identify and change, change our local government. Everything starts local and expands from there, so we've got to do that. But I just want to say this too. You know, I believe uh, the Bible, as you all do, that if we'll humble ourselves and seek the Lord, and we will pray, and then we will go be the gospel, uh, that revival is the supermajority. And God loves to, in times of darkness, he loves to show how powerful he is and what he loves to do uh, when he's outnumbered, so to speak, by the big bad culture. So when the culture gets dark, uh, that's the time for us to get excited because God only allows his name and his reputation to be trampled for so long. And then he flexes his strong right arm and he demonstrates his glory. And he does that through the church. So I'm very excited that the challenges that are ahead of us are opportunities for God to be God and for God's people to shine brighter than ever before, uh, and that things can really turn around if we'll, if we'll come together. Two things I want to do, and I, I, first of all, can we just thank our dear friend here, Trevor Loudon. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, three-part series with Trevor Loudon talking about Marxism in America and what we can do to reclaim our nation. Uh, and then my final challenge there, just reminding us that uh, as believers, we're never pessimists, we're never gloom and doom folks, we're not naysayers, we're not cynical, we're not jaded, uh, we're not walking around uh, uh, taking Xanax pills. Uh, we're people who are always excited about the future because Jesus is Lord and because of the power of the Holy Spirit to bring transformation uh, in our country. We've seen it before. God can do it again. And I want you to be encouraged, but I also want you to, to hear some of these admonitions. You know, the local church is a breeding ground for great leadership, uh, for Christ-centered leadership. And I just believe as pastors that we need to be more intentional when we see somebody that has a strong marketplace gifting or a strong uh, anointing on their life governmentally. Many times in the church, we, we put up these false walls and we say, well, that's political or whatever. That's really not what we do in the church. But as I try to remind everyone, you know, if Jesus is Lord of government and politics, then uh, we our job is to make sure we have good people that are leading. And uh, and I again, I think our churches are full of very wise uh, lawyers, uh, teachers, business leaders, uh, community leaders, all, all kinds of branches that, that, that actually 
help prepare one for, for public service. And so uh, perhaps we should be identifying these people in the local church setting and then seeing them raised up. And then, you know, as I mentioned, very important about getting our congregations mobilized when there's somebody that is a strong Christian who loves the Lord and who seeks to, to honor Christ. Our job is to roll up our sleeves, write some checks, get out, go door to door, uh, walk in parades, tell our neighbors, uh, do whatever we can to make sure these people represent us and represent our values. And so, uh, yes, the challenges are great, but our God is greater. That's the message of this podcast is Jesus wins, the church wins. And when we show up, uh, God shows up with us and good things happen. So I want to encourage you, be, be encouraged in your own heart and, uh, and, and get involved. Maybe some of you that are listening right now, you have a call to public policy. Um, I encourage you, man, to explore that. Talk to some people who are maybe held office before. Uh, learn how to run a, a, a campaign. There's lots of good material out on that. And if I can help in any way, uh, I've, been, I, I've done that a couple of times myself, and it was a huge learning curve. But I'd be glad to share whatever wisdom that I have. But let's be proactive. Uh, let's, let's, again, get a vision for victory and a vision to turn things around. Uh, and I believe that God will honor our efforts. So until then, continue to pray and continue to work. And, uh, and let's see the Lord do great things in our churches, in our communities, in, our, in the nations of the world. Uh, next week, we're excited to be with you. The next podcast will come out on Thursday. Until then, again, spread this message far and wide. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Contact us on our uh, Facebook page. Uh, we'd love to hear from you uh, as we move forward. So until we meet again, have a great week.